Chapter Three of Alice Dugdale by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. Lady Wanless. Sir Walter Wanless was one of those great men who never do anything great, but achieve their greatness partly by their tailors, partly by a breadth of eyebrow and carriage of the body, what we may call deportment and partly by the outside gifts of fortune. Taking his career altogether, we must say that he had been unfortunate. He was a baronet with a fine house and park, and with an income hardly sufficient for the place. He had contested the county four times on old Whig principles, and had once been in Parliament for two years. There he had never opened his mouth, but in his struggle to get there had greatly embarrassed his finances. His tailor had been well chosen and had always turned him out as the best-dressed old baronet in England. His eyebrow was all his own and certainly commanded respect from those with whom eyebrows are efficacious. He never read, he eschewed farming, by which he had lost money in early life and had, so to say, no visible occupation at all. But he was Sir Walter Wanless, and what with his tailor and what with his eyebrow, he did command a great deal of respect in the country round Beetham. He had, too, certain good gifts, for which people were thankful as coming from so great a man. He paid his bills, he went to church, he was well behaved, and still maintained certain old-fashioned family charities, though money was not plentiful with him. He had two sons and five daughters. The sons were in the army and were beyond his control. The daughters were all at home and were altogether under the control of their mother. Indeed, everything at Brook Park was under the control of Lady Wanless, though no man alive gave himself airs more autocratic than Sir Walter. It was on her shoulders that fell the burden of the five daughters, and of maintaining with straitened means the hospitality of Brook Park on their behoof. A hard-worked woman was Lady Wanless in doing her duty, with imperfect lights, no doubt, but to the best of her abilities with such lights as she possessed. She was somewhat fine in her dress, not for any comfort that might accrue to herself, but from a feeling that an alliance with the Wanlesses would not be valued by the proper sort of young men unless she were grand herself. The girls were beautifully dressed, but oh, with such care and economy and daily labour among them, herself and the two ladies' maids upstairs. The father, what with his election and his farming, and a period of costly living early in his life, had not done well for the family. That she knew, and never rebuked him, but it was for her to set matters right, which she could only do by getting husbands for the daughters. That this might be achieved, the wanless prestige must be maintained, and with crippled means it is so hard to maintain a family prestige. A poor duke may do it, or perhaps an earl, but a baronet is not high enough to give bad wines to his guests without serious detriment to his unmarried daughters. A beginning to what might be hoped to be a long line of successes had already been made. The eldest girl, Sophia, was engaged. 
Lady Wanless did not look very high, knowing that failure in such operations will bring with it such unutterable misfortune. Sophia was engaged to the eldest son of a neighbouring squire, whose property indeed was not large, nor was the squire likely to die very soon. But there was the means of present living, and a future rental of £4,000 a year. Young Mr. Cobble was now staying at the house, and had been duly accepted by Sir Walter himself. The youngest girl, who was only nineteen, had fallen in love with a young clergyman in the neighbourhood. That would not do at all, and the young clergyman was not allowed within the park. Georgiana was the beauty, and for her, if for any, some great destiny might have been hoped. But it was her turn, a matter of which Lady Wanless thought a great deal, and the Major was too good to be allowed to escape. Georgiana, in her cold, impassive way, seemed to like the Major, and therefore Lady Wanless paired them off instantly with that decision which was necessary amidst the labours of her life. She had no scruples in what she did, feeling sure that her daughters would make honest, good wives, and that the blood of the Wanlesses was a dowry in itself. The Major had been told to come early, because a party was made to visit certain ruins about eight miles off, Castle Owlis, as it was called, to which Lady Wanlist was accustomed to take her guests, because the family history declared that the Wanlesses had lived there at some very remote period. It still belonged to Sir Walter, though unfortunately the intervening lands had for the most part fallen into other hands. Owlis and Wanlis were supposed to be the same, and thus there was room for a good deal of family tattle. "'I am delighted to see you at Brook Park,' said Sir Walter, as they met at the luncheon table. "'When I was at Christchurch, your father was at Wadham, and I remember him well.' Exactly the same words had been spoken when the Major, on a former occasion, had been made welcome at the house, and clearly implied a feeling that Christchurch, though much superior, may condescend to know Wadham, under certain circumstances.' Of the baronet nothing further was heard or seen till dinner. Lady Wanless went in the open carriage with three daughters, Sophia being one of them. As her affair was settled, it was not necessary that one of the two side saddles should be allotted to her use. Young Cobble, who had been asked to send two horses over from Cobble Hall so that Rossiter might ride one, felt this very hard but there was no appeal from Lady Wanless. "'You'll have plenty enough of her all the evening,' said the mother, patting him affectionately, "'and it is so necessary just at present that Georgiana and Edith should have horse exercise.' In this way it was arranged that Georgiana should ride with the Major, and Edith, the third daughter, with young Burmeston, the son of Cox and Burmeston, brewers at the neighbouring town of Slowbridge. A country brewer is not quite what Lady Wanless would have liked, but with difficulties such as hers, a rich young brewer might be worth having. All this was hard upon Mr. Cobble, who would not have sent his horses over had he known it. Our Major saw at a glance that Georgiana rode well. He liked ladies to ride, and doubted whether Alice had ever been on horseback in her life. 
After all, how many advantages does a girl lose by having to pass her days in a nursery? For a moment some such idea crossed his mind. Then he asked Georgiana some question as to the scenery through which they were passing. "'Very fine indeed,' said Georgiana. She looked square before her and sat with her back square to the horse's tail. There was no hanging in the saddle, no shifting about in uneasiness. She could rise and fall easily, even gracefully, when the horse trotted. "'You're fond of riding, I can see,' said the Major. "'I do like riding,' answered Georgiana. The tone in which she spoke of her present occupation was much more lively than that in which she expressed her approbation of scenery. At the ruin they all got down, and Lady Wanless told them the entire story of the Owlesses and the Wanlesses, and filled the brewer's mind with wonder as to the antiquity and dignity of the family. But the Major was the fish just at this moment in hand. "'The Rossiters are very old, too,' she said, smiling. "'But perhaps this is a kind of thing you don't care for.' "'Very much indeed,' said he, which was true, "'for he was proud of knowing that he had come from the Rossiters "'who had been over four hundred years in Herefordshire. "'A remembrance of old merit will always be an incitement to new.' "'It is just that, Major Rossiter.' "'It is strange how very nearly in the same words Georgiana said the same thing to me yesterday.' Georgiana happened to overhear this, but did not contradict her mother, though she made a grimace to her sister, which was seen by no one else. Then Lady Wanley slipped aside to assist the brewer and Edith, leaving the Major and her second daughter together. The two younger girls, of whom the youngest was the wicked one, with a penchant for the curate, were wandering among the ruins by themselves. "'I wonder whether there were any people called Owlis,' said Rossiter, not quite knowing what subject of conversation to choose. "'Of course there were. Mamma always says so.' "'That settles the question, does it not?' "'I don't see why there shouldn't be Owlises. No, I won't sit on the wall, thank you, because I should stay in my habit.' "'But you'll be tired.' "'Not particularly tired. It is not so very far. I'd go back in the carriage, only of course we can't because of the habits. "'Oh, yes, I'm very fond of dancing, very fond indeed. "'We always have two balls every year at Slowbridge, and there are some others about the county. "'I don't think you ever have balls at Beetham. "'There is no one to give them. "'Does Miss Dugdale ever dance?' The Major had to think for a moment before he could answer the question. Why should Miss Wanless ask as to Alice's dancing? I'm sure she does. Now I think of it, I have heard her talk of dancing. You don't know Alice Dugdale? Miss Wanless shook her head. She is worth knowing. I'm quite sure she is. I have always heard that you thought so. She is very good to all those children, isn't she? Very good indeed. She would be almost pretty if she wasn't so... so dumpy, I should say. Then they got on their horses again and rode back to Brook Park. Let Georgiana be ever so tired, she did not show it, but rode in under the portico with perfect equestrian grace. 
"'I'm afraid you took too much out of her,' said Lady Wanless to the Major that evening. Georgiana had gone to bed a little earlier than the others. This was in some degree hard upon him, as he had not proposed the ride, and he excused himself. "'It was you who arranged it all, Lady Wanless.' "'Yes, indeed.' said she, smiling. I did arrange the little excursion, but it was not I who kept her talking the whole day. Now this again was felt to be unfair, as nearly every word of conversation between the young people has been given in this little chronicle. On the following day the young people were again thrust together, and before they parted for the night another little word was spoken by Lady Wanless, which indicated very clearly that there was some special bond of friendship between the Major and her second daughter. "'You are quite right,' she had said in answer to some extracted compliment. "'She does ride very well. "'When I was up in town in May, "'I thought I saw no one with such a seat in the row. "'Miss Green, who taught the Duchess of Ditchwater's daughters, "'declared that she knew nothing like it.' On the third morning he returned to Beetham early, as he intended to go up to town the same afternoon. Then there was prepared for him a little valedictory opportunity in which he could not but press the young lady's fingers for a moment. As he did so, no one was looking at him, but then he knew that it was so much the more dangerous because no one was looking. Nothing could be more knowing than the conduct of the young lady, who was not in any way too forward. If she admitted that slight pressure, it was done with a retiring rather than obtrusive favour. It was not by her own doing that she was alone with him for a moment. There was no casting down or casting up of her eyes, and yet it seemed to him as he left her and went out into the hall that there had been so much between them that he was almost bound to propose to her. In the hall there was the baronet to bid him farewell, an honour which he did to his guests only when he was minded to treat them with great distinction. "'Lady Wanless and I are delighted to have had you here,' he said. "'Remember me to your father, and tell him that I remember him very well when I was at Christchurch, and he was at Wadham.' It was something to have had one's hand taken in so paternal a manner, by a baronet with such an eyebrow and such a coat. And yet when he returned to Beetham, he was not in a good humour with himself. It seemed to him that he had been almost absorbed among the Wanlesses without any action or will of his own. He tried to comfort himself by declaring that Georgiana was, without doubt, a remarkably handsome young woman, and that she was a perfect horsewoman, as though all that were a matter to him of any moment. Then he went across to the doctor's house to say a word of farewell to Alice. "'Have you had a pleasant visit?' she asked. "'Oh, yes, all very well.' "'The second Miss Wanless is quite beautiful, is she not?' "'She is handsome, certainly.' "'I call her lovely,' said Alice. "'You rode with her the other day over to that old castle.' Who could have told this of him already? Yes, there was a party of us went over. When are you going there again? 
Now something had been said of a further visit, and Rossiter had almost promised that he would return. It is impossible not to promise when undefined invitations are given. A man cannot declare that he is engaged for ever and ever. But how was it that Alice knew all that had been said and done? I cannot say that I have fixed any exact day, he replied almost angrily. I have heard all about you, you know. That young Mr. Burmeston was at Mrs. Tweed's and told them what a favourite you are. If it be true, I will congratulate you, because I do really think that the young lady is the most beautiful that I ever saw in my life. This she said with a smile and a good-humoured little shake of the head. If it was to be that her heart must be broken, he at least should not know it. And she still hoped, she still thought, that by being very constant at her work, she might get over it. End of chapter 3